Welcome to the Cathedral Library Bible Podcast. I'm Rob Steele. And I'm Jordan Duncan. And our desire with this podcast is to show you how easy and enjoyable it is to come to Scripture and walk away having heard the words of God and being changed by them. Amen. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Cathedral Library Bible Podcast. Um, We have a long section here today in the Gospel of Mark. We're starting at chapter 11, verse 27, and then going all the way through chapter 12. I think this is our longest passage that we've tackled yet. Must be. So uh, let's see what happens. There's a lot. there's There's actually a ton of interesting things that happen in here, and I was trying to look for a thread of what's tying them all together. And I'm not sure um, I found it yet, but I, th- I think I'm on to something. Um, oh, that's good, because I didn't. So you didn't I just find had a anything. bunch of okay. random questions and thoughts. But yeah. yeah, there's lots of questions that can spring up from this. Um, but what start, so where it starts is they, they being Jesus and the disciples, um, presumably just like the 12, I think, they arrive so. in Jerusalem again because they're staying just outside, I think, in Bethany. And they come in. Jesus is uh, in the temple courts, and there's a lot of interactions here with a lot of opposition, uh, a lot of discussion with a lot of opposition that Jesus is facing. I think mostly with uh, authority figures in the Jewish religion at that time. Here it lists chief priests, teachers of the law, and elders. Um, I don't know if there's any anything we need to know about them really, but just to know that okay, these are the these are the top dogs and the ones who are in the temple. So probably the top dogs of the out of all the top dogs, right? Uh, this is who Jesus <laughs> the top is. dogs of the top <laughs> dogs. <laughs> yeah. So they they start out with this question for Jesus, saying, "By what authority are you doing these things, and who gave you the authority to do this?" And Jesus says, actually, let me ask you, let me respond to your question with a question. Uh, There's a great, you know, Brian Regan? Oh, yeah. Uh, Yeah, I think he's got a bit about that. Not about Jesus, but anyway, he talks about responding to someone's questions with, let me ask you a question. (laughs) So uh, Jesus pulls that card and he asks them, uh, he says, I'll answer your question if you answer this question. Was John's baptism from heaven or of human origin? And they decide that there's no safe answer there. They're going to get in trouble one way or the other, depending on how they answer it. And so they decide not to answer. And Jesus says, I'm not going to tell you by what authority I'm doing these things. What do you make of that, Rob? Well, there's a couple of things that seem to come up for me. I First off, I as soon as I heard... Um, I'm going to answer. I'm going to ask you a question as an answer to your question. I immediately just thought of be as wise as serpents. Um, there's something of like, not because it's sneaky or deceptive, but it's just really smart the way that he comes back to them. This is the first time I've maybe ever read this passage and realized that he is actually asking them the same type of question they're asking him. Okay. So it's still about authority. So what he's done, at least this is my reading of it today, 
is that he's like, okay, well, I'll give you an answer as long as you're willing to answer this. And in some respects, he's saying, you want to know by what authority I do this. You want to have judgment over my answer for that. So let me hear your judgment over your answer for John. Hmm. You tell me how you would judge John in front of all these people, and then I'll, uh, I'll tell you the answer, and you can judge me. So he knows they're trying to catch him and that they want to judge his answer for this. But he also knows they're unwilling to answer for their own judgments against this prophet. Yeah. And so I think that in some respects it was, you want to know about authority, you think you have authority over everyone else's authority, so let me ask you a question that you don't seem to want to fess up to. And if you're willing to answer for that, then I'm willing to give you the answer. Is really smart the more I played that out. Yeah, very smart. The, I, what I noticed is the rest of the passage, I, we'll find that the, these teachers and other chief priests and whatever are, are being very tricky with Jesus yeah. and trying to trap him, yeah. it says. Yeah. And so by the end of chapter 12, I'm going, man, they're, they're so conniving and tricky and whatever. Yeah. But then just now when we come back to where we started this section, I go, oh, Jesus started this game. <laughs> yeah, he did. You know? <laughs> Um, but I think you're on to something there because what follows then is Jesus giving this parable about the tenants in the vineyard, yeah. which in short, um, you add to whatever I'm missing in my summary, but in short, he's saying, let's be honest here. Uh, God has put you in charge of Israel or given you your authority is coming from God in your position in in this nation and in this people, and you are not using it well. In fact, you are going to uh, kick... You've done this with all the prophets that have come, and you are doing this with me. It's the same thing. You're the same as all the failed kings of Israel in what they did to the prophets, in the way you're treating me, and I am the son of God, uh, I mean, is what he's suggesting here. And you're rejecting me just like uh, the Psalm, I think it's 118, yeah. foretold you would. Yeah. It, this is the first time I've read this all together like this, or it must be, or I, no, that's not even true. I probably read it a million times and missed it. Mm -hmm. This morning when I read it, I realized, oh, wait a second, he gives them the answer still. So they've asked, by what authority do you do these things? And then he goes, let oh, me yeah. tell you a story. Yeah. And they know, like you can see how that part ends. They're so angry with him that they want to arrest him, but they're scared of the people. Mm. So once again, they don't want to answer about what they think about John because they're scared of the people. They don't want to arrest him because they're scared of the people. And so they want to keep their authority. They want to not be judged. They want to be in charge. They want to hold things together. So they consistently make these moves based completely on fear of losing their own authority. But Jesus tells them, I'm the son that has come, and you're about to do the same thing to me that you've done to all these people. And so it, it was shocking to me because in some ways he's kind of going... Here, let me answer both of our questions. John's baptism was from God because he was sent from God. And guess what you did with him? Yeah. So were all those people before him. And now since him has come the son. Ta-da. You wanted to know what authority I had? This is my authority. I just thought, 
oh, he really lets them have it here because mm-hmm. he tells them, I won't give you an answer unless. And then the moment they refuse to answer his question, he goes, well, let's talk about this anyways because I think you need to be exposed. Very interesting. And it was the first time I realized, oh, he's giving them the answer to their question. Yeah. Just now through parable. Yeah, and it's interesting that he's saying both of our authority comes from God, but mine is of a bit of a different kind. Like you're a yeah. tenant of the vineyard, yeah, uh, and I'm the son of the guy who owns the vineyard, yeah. And so, yeah, but then and then kind of shines a light on how should you be treating if you're the tenant, how yeah. should you be treating the son, yeah but how are you treating the son? Yeah. And of course they, I mean, they're not buying that he's the son. No. But now they're angry because of who he's claiming to be. Yeah. And are looking for a way to arrest him. It's really like, that's part of what I love is that he doesn't take away their authority. Like he's not saying you have no authority. He's saying, no, you've got authority and it was given to you by God. Mm -hmm. You're using it wrongly. And this is how you've been using it. I'm just going to expose how you've actually been using the authority you've been given. I, I I love that because it's not a... It does demean their authority <laughs> to an extent. Yeah. But his purpose is not... It puts it, it in not. its place. Exactly. It's to say you've acted like you're in charge when really your authority is only goes this far. Okay, so the next part... Uh, brings in, I think the next part's just more uh, of the same thing. So they send some other, um, uh, some Pharisees and Herodians to Jesus, so more ruling class um, or or teaching people theologically in the know. Yeah. And so they come to catch him in his words. And so they ask, they butter him up with nice words <laughs> and... And then ask, what sh- should we pay the imperial tax to Caesar or not? And Jesus does the. <laughs> Jesus says, "Why are you trying to trap me? Bring me a denarius and let me look at it. Whose image is this? Whose inscription?" And they say Caesar's. And he says, "Give back to Caesar what is Caesar's, and to God what is God's." Yeah. And these ones are amazed at him. They don't want to kill him. Yeah. <laughs> how does this? Uh, how is this more of what's already been said you know I don't think I had anything on that as you were re talking about it it's the first time I think I've put together he's kind of teaching them how to be a tenant under someone that's in charge oh because he's saying this is Caesar's and this is our role under Caesar wow and so here you go. This is what you should do. See how it's Caesar's face on here? He's master in this way. Mm -hmm. So render under Caesar what's Caesar's. Be a good tenant of that. I don't think I'd seen that until you started talking about it. but I didn't see that at all. So kind of stewardship. Yeah, definitely. Which I've heard it taught like that before about stewardship. I don't think I'd connected it with the previous... No, the parable of the vineyard and yeah. and authority. Yeah. What would it mean to give 
to God what is God's? So I think I would go much bigger. I w- it's not out of this that my thoughts come from. I immediately think of creation. Yes. I think us. Yeah. Like who's, I th- whose image are we Exactly. Yeah. So the image of Caesar is on the money. Mm-hmm. So give back to Caesar what's Caesar's. We are the image of God. So give to God what is God's. That's where my mind goes immediately. I think you are correct there. Um, which is where this so far starts impacting me personally mm. the most. Yeah. Because uh, I, I guess I have trouble identifying trying to trap Jesus with questions of his authority. <laughs> Uh, not to say that I never doubt that Jesus actually has authority because sometimes I find myself going, okay, if you have authority, where is it? Yeah, <laughs> Can you use totally. it? Um, but it's a, it's a different thing that than what the Pharisees are doing. And for myself in the parable of the tenants, I'm like, I'm not a Jewish person who failed to live by the covenant yeah. and then tried to take over the vineyard and not let the sun in. I'm, yeah. I'm like way on the other side of this story where the sun comes back to the vineyard, takes it over, and then welcomes in whoever wants to be a part of it. Right. And so, so I have a hard time figuring out what those things mean for me. Mm-hmm. But the authority, well... Yeah, the authority piece. Um, I don't know what's. There's got to be something there in the authority piece that I'm missing, of of f- for me personally. Hmm. Do you yeah. see anything? Hmm. I mean, I think the same as you. I see myself in, like, I do question God's authority. I do do those things. I don't see myself as someone just trying to trap God or trying to trip him up for the sake of making myself better. Um, I don't I don't have that, at least that, that I see. I'm sure I have that and sinful. But, um, but the thing that does, it's very similar to you. The thing that speaks to me personally about the authority piece is that I only want Jesus' authority to go so far before I start acting more like them. There's places where I want... I don't ask him questions to trip him up. I think there's a confidence in him that's already there. But there is places where I'm not the good tenant. Right. The places where the sun comes or a messenger from God comes and I go, you know what? I think let's just bury you. And then (laughs) I don't have to think about what you're saying to me right now. Not that I would want them killed, but I just would like them gone. So I I agree, it's not quite the same, but I can feel my own sinfulness in that at the same time. Yeah, okay, I'm starting to see it now. Is, in a sense, when, when you tie in the give back to God what is God's, you think of, I mean, with the parable of the vineyard, the vineyard is God's. 
Yeah. So he's saying, give the vineyard back to God because he's trying to take control of it. And you've had, you've had a, um, a level of control of it because he gave, he turned it over to you to have right. authority over, but now he's here to kind of take some more control of it and you're right. not giving it back. And if I think about, so uh, again, I wasn't given any authority over Israel for God's people. Um, but I think I have authority over myself. Yeah. And like you're saying, I think sometimes God comes to me and says, actually, I have authority over you <laughs> and I've given you authority for yourself to, to govern yourself and to rule as well, especially because I'm made in his image. I'm also given an authority over the earth yeah. to rule. And yeah. sometimes I think I know how to do that best. And then he comes in and says, let me take the wheel for a second yeah. and show you a better way to do this. And I go, no, this is my vineyard. Yeah. Totally. And I want to rule it. And the longer we're left in our own ways, the more those things get entrenched in us. And so I find that the older I get, the more fight there is in me on these pieces because I think I know what's best. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of which, <laughs> this next section, I think, well, we'll see. Anyway, uh, the next section is the Sadducees mm-hmm. who don't even believe in the resurrection. They're which is uh, just hilarious. Yeah, well, that they don't believe in the resurrection or what they do be based on that. <laughs> just even... They come to him to question him about the resurrection, yeah, not believing in it. And try and trip him up yep. going, hey, so at the resurrection, because there's this, there's this part of their law where um, if a woman gets married and they don't have any kids and the, the husband dies, the brother's supposed to marry that woman and continue on his, his brother's lineage through that. And so there's... You know, this one of one of those, what if happens? <laughs> if I love those questions. They just keep, you know, that brother dies and then the next brother dies and nobody has kids. So nobody's actually continued on the family line through her. But at the resurrection, which they don't actually believe in, wh- whose wife will she be since there is seven brothers married to her? Yeah. And Jesus doesn't play their game so much. He first of all accuses them of being in error because they don't know the scriptures yeah. or the power of God. What does the power of God have to do with it here? I would assume. Now I don't know if I'm clear on this. I haven't given that a lot of thought, but I I would assume he's talking about the resurrection. They don't believe okay, in yeah. the resurrection. Right. And because of that, they have they're essentially calling the power of God into question. Oh, yeah, yeah. Because the next, the very next thing he says is, "When the dead rise, yeah, uh, they'll never, they'll neither marry nor be given in marriage, um, because that's not a part. Marriage is not a part of the post-resurrection life. Which I yeah. think this might be the first part in the entire Bible story that we have that piece of information. I think you might be right. Even, I wonder if this is the first." spot in the Bible, um, biblical story other than Matthew coming before this gospel, but where we have anything a very specific about the resurrection of the dead. Hmm. Is there anything before it in Mark where he, Jesus affirms that the dead will rise? I mean, he, 
does. He talks about his own resurrection. Right. Three times. Yeah. Hmm. But I don't know if it's this explicit on when the dead rise. Yeah. It's more personal than I think. That is an interesting question. I don't know for sure. So then he references, he goes on to talk about the dead rising. I guess that was, that seems to be the important thing to tackle for him. Yeah. Is that the dead will be raised and asks them, haven't you read in the account of the burning bush with Moses that God said to him, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but of the living. You are badly mistaken. I don't understand the point he's trying to make. (laughs) (laughs) Do you? No, I actually don't. Oh, wait. Because he's trying to... So somehow he's trying to fight back against them saying, okay, you... Well, I don't know why you're asking me this question when you don't believe in the resurrection at all. And then... I guess the point being, because he says about the dead rising. So this is about the dead rising. And then asks him a question that God says he's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But that proves there's a resurrection from the dead because he's not the God of the dead. He's the God of the living. Yeah. No, as soon as you started, I think you're right on. Because their forefathers are not gone and dead. Right. He's not the God of the dead, but he is their God. Yeah. So if he's the God of the living and he's their God. They are alive. They are alive. At least in some way in this point. Yeah. And and then you, if you, I guess you follow that reasoning through. Yeah. And you get to the resurrection of the dead. Yeah, because the Old Testament understanding of Sheol was to the dust, right? It was to the yeah. dead and everybody went there that died no matter who you were. Yeah. Yeah, there wasn't a very developed understanding of the resurrection from the dead in the Old Testament. No. So does this answer their question? How does this answer their question or does it? What does this do to their question about the about marriage after? Well, I think there's two things. One is he he does talk about marriage after, but only very briefly. For when they rise from the dead, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. That's it. That's the only thing on marriage, he says. The rest of it is about the resurrection, which in my head goes he is far more concerned with these Sadducees not understanding the resurrection. Yeah, than the uh, fine details of what that looks like. Exactly, which should be a massive sign to us. Hmm. Of, of how important that is. Yeah, to figure out what it's going to be like after the resurrection of the dead, which we seem to love to talk about all these things that yeah. the scriptures don't actually answer. Yeah. Jesus kind of goes, okay, so here's the answer, but let's really talk about what's more important here, and it's the fact that you've lowered the power of God and see him as the God of the dead. Let's address that. Hmm. And so they're coming to him with a, a 
question of uh, all. It's almost like okay, if the dead are raised, then explain this. Yeah, and he goes, well, there's an answer for that, but that's not important. The important part is that you aren't believing in the resurrection of the dead. Yeah, because their question, although about marriage, is not about marriage. They're yeah. trying to prove that the resurrection is ridiculous. Yeah. They said, okay, so you have this law and you seem to believe this and these things are contradictory. So let's trap him in these ways. So it's a different type of trapping than what the Pharisees, the scribes and priests were trying to do. Yeah, it certainly seems, I mean, I think the Sadducees had some different motives than the rest of the group. Yeah, and I think, I mean, I'm reading from the ESV. I'm not sure which version you're reading from. uh, The original Greek. (laughs) I'm just kidding. Just to say, he did bring (laughs) an original Greek Bible today, and I was offended. I would have used kidding. it if I knew how to read it. <laughs> He's being modest. He does. Um, the Sadducees ask about the resurrection is what the section is entitled. It's not the Sadducees challenge Jesus on marriage. Yeah. So I think although this is an important conversation and like Jesus says, well, okay, here's the answer about marriage, but I think there's some answers there. But that's not the point. Okay, I'm getting a little bit more out of it when I asked myself the question, mm-hmm. just because I thought, I think that's it, and then we'll move on to the next thing. And then I thought, but how does this tie into the previous three sections yeah. that were all about authority? Because this follows right on the heel of it, and then I think continues about authority. So I thought, well, how is this about authority? I think maybe because the Sadducees, who were another group, so they hadn't been listed before, like these other confrontations where chief priests, teachers yeah. of the law, elders, Pharisees, Herodians, yeah. every other Jewish authority group at the time, uh, other than the Sadducees. Right. And so now the Sadducees have their interaction with him, and and they're not questioning authority. They're, they're trying to test his authority and see, yeah. like even theologically, what kind of authority he is on a matter to see how he aligns with them. Yeah. And so their question to try and, um, to try and trip him up, he, his response is you guys claim your authorities. Yeah. Sorry that you are authorities. And, but I'm going to claim that you are actually mistaken. One, you claim you're an authority because you know the scriptures. I'm claiming you don't, know the scriptures yeah and you don't even believe in the power of god because you don't believe in the resurrection so what kind of an authority are you yeah i think he i agree i think he's challenging their authority i think he's i think he's trying to reveal their uh issue with the authority of god oh yeah yeah right so him saying and you don't believe in the power of god that's a big statement, and it's really a question then of God's authority. Right. So all of a sudden, it's tenants questioning the authority of the one in charge because something's being said that's a little outlandish, and they're not really sure if they like the sound of it. Yeah. So, I mean, I think he... I don't, it doesn't say what their response is or how they believe, like what they think about his answer to them. Yeah. 
but I think this is these are those moments where if you've ever been in any sort of like um, counseling or healing or a prayer time with uh, a pastor and someone says, well, your issue is actually not this, it's this. And you're like, oh, no. <laughs> That's what this feels like. It's like, okay, but here's my issue. Mm-hmm. And Jesus goes, well, that's not your issue. You have an issue with the power of God because you don't understand the scriptures. And so you're just like the Pharisees. You're being a bad tenant. Yeah. You're not actually walking in all the things that, you know, the owner of the vineyard is telling you to walk in. Yeah. Questioning his authority. So now that when you put it that way, I start seeing a, another just layer. It's it's more clear to me how all of these things are applying to me, even though I'm not a Jewish authority. Right. Is that uh, my handling of what I've been given to be in charge of, and I mean, mostly I'm just talking about my life sure. and the decisions <laughs> yeah, yeah, I make, yeah. Yeah. Um, is it, uh, I'm confused about it. I doubt the way forward, I guess. I doubt how to do things, and right. I doubt other people coming into my life and telling me how to do things. But perhaps there's, perhaps I find myself in error because of my lack of knowledge of the scriptures. Right. And how much I trust and actually believe in the power of God. That's a good one. Yeah. That's a good one because God will call you, me, all of us to such outlandish things like the resurrection from the dead. Right. That we're going to find things that don't add up. We're going to find things that we go, oh, wait a second. That doesn't really make sense of the picture I have. It doesn't make sense of what I see. It doesn't make sense of what I want to see. And so instead of submitting ourselves to what we see clearly in the scriptures, we start to reorganize it and say, but it can't be so because look at this. That sounds contradictory. That can't be true. And God comes along and goes, "Uh, you don't really get that, but that's not the point. Yeah. (laughs) You know, they're not contradictory like you think they are, but that isn't the point. Let's address your actual heart. Let's address your actual life. Yeah. And how you're living um, in my vineyard. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, well, good in the convicting sense. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, good in the fact that we're all sinful and terrible human beings. <laughs> so that's that sort of good. Yeah. Well, yeah, it's the good starts there because it ends up that there's an answer for our sinfulness. Yeah, exactly. Um, so then, yeah, there's no response from, from the Sadducees. Jesus just drops the mic there. And one of the teachers of the law hears them debating, having this debate, and notices that Jesus gives them a good answer. And so he asks Jesus, which seemingly with that, with Mark setting it up like that, it doesn't seem like this guy's trying to trick Jesus. No, not at all. He's interested in hearing what Jesus has to say on a matter, which is of all the commandments, which is the most important. And Jesus recites the, what is known as the Shema from Deuteronomy 6, yeah, chapter 6, verse 4 and 5, uh, which is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and all your mind and all your strength, and it, which is something that the Israelites would have recited daily yeah. if they were being 
um, practicing their their religion faithfully. And then he says the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself, which is from Leviticus, and says there's no greater commandment than those. Yep. And so the the man affirms Jesus. I guess this teacher still thinks he's on par with Jesus. Yeah. You know, he says, you are right in saying that God is one and there is no other but him. And to love him and saying, yeah, to love God and to love your neighbor as yourself is more important than the offerings and sacrifices. Yeah. And so when Jesus sees that the man responds to him wisely, he says to this man that he is not far from the kingdom of God. And after that, nobody else wants to join the discussion or throw any curveballs to Jesus because he keeps hitting them out of the park. <laughs> How do you like that baseball reference? <laughs> <laughs> that was just for me, and it made me feel good about myself. <laughs> um <laughs> Yeah. So how does this tie in with everything else? Or let's start small and go, what what does just this section have to say to us? Yeah. Well, I, I mean, first off, I think this person, I agree with you, they come not trying to trick Jesus. So there's a significant change there. Um, I think it's interesting. I think Jesus' response to him is interesting. So I think it could be the fact that he sees himself as on par. So that really stood out to me in verse 32 where he says, you're right, teacher. You have truly said that any person that ever says stuff like that to God, which we have our own versions of that. Yeah. Like I hear stuff like that all the time and I'm sure I say it. Every time I go, oh, no, 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 that's, no, you shouldn't, you're going to be very embarrassed that you said that. (laughs) Um, But yeah, definitely sees himself as on par. Do you think it's because he sees himself as on par that Jesus answers, you're not far from the kingdom of God, rather than said, truly, I say to you, you are part of the kingdom of God today or something along that lines, those lines? I don't think so actually now that you ask that question i think perhaps jesus sees uh, i think maybe he's affirming that the guy is um on par uh, not on par now i gotta use a different way of saying it give me another best baseball reference okay let's see (laughs) uh that was the only baseball (laughs) i understood (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that's all I that's all I have. Uh I think I think maybe Jesus is affirming I'm not gonna say that confidently. Is Jesus affirming <laughs> that this guy uh, understands it, it's like he's saying, Oh, you're aligned with my teaching yeah. and what I'm thinking. Yeah. Then you are not far like you're this is really close to you and you or you're close to the kingdom. Yeah. And I don't think he's I don't know. I get the feeling that Jesus isn't saying you're close, but you're not there yet. Right. Right. I feel like he's just affirming you get it, which I think that was my question was, I can't tell. Yeah. Is he saying you almost get it? You're almost there. Or is he saying as close as you can be today because of where the kingdom is, you're there. Yeah. Right. Like, cause I, like he, 
part of it is he says things like the kingdom has come, right? But we know, especially with how things go in Jesus' story, that the kingdom being present through Christ does not mean all things are finished. So there's a way in which the kingdom is not fully there yet. So there's this now and not yet to the kingdom through the whole story. What I just can't tell in this moment, is it a... Because I think it's an affirmation no matter what. Yeah. I think he is saying, good job, man. Like, there's something of, like, congratulations in it and um, encouragement in it. I think that's true. The thing I can't tell is, is it an encouragement to keep going because he's almost there? Or is it an encouragement because he's got it as much as is possible at this time? Maybe both. (laughs) You know? Certainly, none of us are ever have ever completely arrived. Yeah, and I think we're all heading in the direction of the kingdom of God. Yeah, which I'm. I think that's a fair answer. I just can't. I can't figure out where I land. Yeah, personally, what we want to know is: Is this man saved? <laughs> okay, we're gonna figure it out today <laughs> yeah. on this podcast. Tune in next time when we <laughs> reveal the answer. Uh, just kidding. <laughs> so okay. a- after this, though, it says no one dared ask him any more questions. So mm-hmm. Jesus has won the game. Yeah, but since since the game. <laughs> the game is over and Jesus continues playing. <laughs> He's he continues teaching in the temple courts and asks a question which uh, you know, I don't think he's trying to trap he's not trying to trap anyone here, but he he says now, why do the teachers of the law say that the Messiah is the son of David? Because David himself um speaking by the Holy Spirit declared in Psalm 110, uh he said the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. And so David in this Psalm calls, uh, the Messiah Lord. So how would the Messiah be his son? And the large crowd listening to him was filled with delight. Yeah. Uh, I don't, I don't understand why it's important that Jesus make this point. I don't totally know. Yeah. I think if we think context and authority and all of those things that have come out of what we've been reading so far, there is some context to he's reiterating that he's not uh, David's son, but he's still Lord over David, so he's greater than. Okay. Um, yeah. Those sorts of things, I think it's a question or it's a statement about authority still. His authority doesn't come because he's in the line of David, but the Messiah is in the line of David, but his authority comes and is greater than David's. Oh. That's kind of how I spread yeah, it. That makes sense. A correction to their understanding of um, the authority of the Messiah. Yeah. And where that comes from. So yes, yes, he's foretold to be genealogically yeah. a descendant of David, Yeah, but that's not... That's not what gives him authority. No. And I think there's even, like, I think there's a lot to that because there is authority in the fact that he's from the line of David, but there's a lot of people in the line of David. Right. That don't have any authority. Yeah. Why wasn't it one of them? Exactly. And so it's not 
that's not where his authority comes from. That's just part of his human authority. So I, at least that's how I read it. I didn't get a lot out of this other than there's always stuff where, that's a, where he's quoting the Old Testament and you realize how much he was in the Old Testament. You, you read that in 110 and you realize, I'm not sure David knew he was talking about Jesus, but Jesus was still the fulfill, fulfillment of these mm-hmm. massive messianic quotes throughout the whole Old Testament. Yeah. And and was able to tie all these things together. Yeah. Um, it really seems like Jesus knew the scriptures, you know? <laughs> yes, it did. <laughs> I wonder if this is one of, you know, he's just accused the Sadducees of not knowing the scriptures. And mm-hmm. in this little section, Mark's got Jesus quoting scripture left and right. Yeah. And I... It's really important, I think, even to notice, at least this is important to me. Let me say it's important to me, and it was huge in my, this will just be a personal note rather than a pastoral note. It was huge in my understanding of the scriptures and in my spiritual life, my relationship with the Lord, to step into something that was beyond my own choice when it came to scripture. What I mean by that was, in the history of the church, when I realized, hey, they read the Psalms every day. Hey, they read and prayed multiple times a day. Hey, they would read these every Sunday. Hey, there was these prayers they would pray every single day. This was true of Jesus as well. And in this section, he's quoting things he would have had to have prayed or read every day. And I go, Jesus seems to know the scriptures partially because he was in the tradition of his people. And took part in it, stepped into it fully, and it actually aided him in his understanding of the scriptures. It aided him in his interaction with the people of Israel. And I just think there's something that was so important to me to hear that because when I was a teenager, I read the Bible every day. Um, No one told me to, but every night before I went to bed, I thought, you know what, I should probably read my Bible because I was a really charismatic person. I thought my relationship with God is way more spiritual than necessarily the words on this page. But I know that these words on this page are really important. I don't really know why. Yeah. So I'll just read it. So I read it every day. There was nothing wrong with that. But when I realized that there was meant to be a taking in of something bigger in the scriptures and that God's people had done it in a certain way. Um, and then I see it in the life of Jesus. I go, oh, there's something of massive value for me here. And I'm still... I, I need to step into that. I need to step into some of the tradition that's been laid out before me to be able to receive the fullness of who God is through his word. Yeah. So. It certainly seems that participating, I mean, if Jesus is an example for us, that his example of participating in the traditions of the religion yeah. uh, surely paid off for him. <laughs> In the sense of he's, yeah, he's quoting scripture left and right. He knows where he fits. Yeah. He knows what part his story is to play yeah. in God's bigger story. Yeah. And I mean, his, his, Jesus is a bit unique in that his story had the most central role to sure. play <laughs> in God's story. Um, none of us will be able to claim that, but yeah, yeah he, he knew these things because 
he was praying them every day and yeah. because he was participating in what at times probably just looked like rote um, reciting of Psalms. Yeah. It's, we're not there. So this is, I'm going up, I'm going before our own travels through the gospel of Mark, but it shocks me that when Jesus is on the cross and he's in pain and he feels alone and he's being betrayed he cries out in prayer a psalm. Yeah. It's not just what he says, it's the fact that he does it yeah. is so mind-boggling to me. God himself is allowing himself to be killed by his beloved creation. Yeah. And he speaks out words that were written thousands of years before him instead of saying his own prayer. Yeah. There's just like that. It's, there's something so mind boggling about that. Yeah. The day that I get cut off in traffic and cry out a Psalm <laughs> instead of what I usually cry out that, that I know that I will have not, I'll know then that I'm not far from the kingdom of God <laughs> for sure. Yeah. Yeah, I love that you just compared the crucifixion to being cut off. Well, my thought, my thought went to, you know, if I was getting killed, uh, murdered, would I cry out a psalm? Right. And then I went to, uh, I wouldn't even do that if I got cut <laughs> off in traffic. I'm not even at that level of. Yeah. Yeah. So let's keep moving. <laughs> <laughs> um, so next. Jesus continues teaching, and he goes right for the throat. Uh, <laughs> he says, watch out for this. So first he just says, how can the teachers of the law say this about the Messiah, that his authority comes from the son of being the son of David? Yeah. And then he just says, look, watch out for the teachers of the law, all these people who have just been trying to catch him and stuff. Yeah. Because, uh, in short, they're arrogant. They want the most important seats and the places of honor. And they devour widows' houses, and they're just they're making lengthy prayers just for show. These men will be punished most severely. Yeah, this seems like to me he's explaining a bit more specifically what his parable looks like in real life mm. about the vineyard because he's he says those people of the vineyard they're going to get does he th- thrown out or killed? Yeah, he. <laughs> Uh, they'll get killed. Yeah. Um, here he says they're going to get punished most severely. And so I think what it looks like for the tenants of the vineyard to misuse the vineyard is this. They will be arrogant. They'll look for the most important seats. They'll devour widows' houses, make a show of lengthy prayers, watch out for those types of people because though they look like they're in authority, yeah. I mean, they are in authority. They are, yeah. Yeah. They're... They're not the sort. They're not representing God's authority. Yeah. Well, I, I think it's interesting because I, I I didn't connect it to the vineyard, which I think is awesome. I did connect it to the whole story a little mm-hmm. bit. Like he's going, here's why I'm fighting our authority. Here's why. Oh, okay. Here's why I'm yeah. willing to stand and say you're in the wrong, because uh, now. It depends. I don't know in the original Greek, so this is a little tricky because it could be I could be wrong about this. 
Jordan reaches for the original <laughs> Greek. Oh, my goodness. I it's going to be helpful. <laughs> so verse 38, uh, and in his teaching, he said, Beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and like greetings in the marketplaces. What I wonder is, is he saying, beware of the scribes who like to, meaning all scribes? Like, beware of the scribes across the board? Or is he saying, beware of the scribes who like to, in the sense that some of them enjoy walking around in long robes, like their greetings in the marketplace, take the best seat in the synagogues? Is he trying to show them who are the leaders you have to beware of? In a contrast to, if you see, if there are scribes, if there are priests, if there are people that don't function like this, you don't have to be scared of them. Can you read verse 38 again? Yeah. And in his teaching, he said, beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and like greetings in the marketplaces. Okay, I don't know if the Greek's going to be helpful because I can't read it that fast. <laughs> the, however, you're reading ESV. I've got the NIV. The yeah. NIV um, is trying to answer your question. Okay. So it translates it, watch out for the teachers of the law, period. They like okay. to walk around in flowing robes and be greeted with respect. Okay. So he's so saying that. at least the translators of the NIV think he's talking about all teachers of the law. Which the I th- would say the same thing about the ESV because of the way they use the comma. So beware of the scribes, comma, who like to walk around in long robes. I think it sounds like they're saying all scribes. Yeah. So now he's named a specific group, which is interesting. Yeah. I think that's just, I actually just think that's an interesting question to ask and point out that we, you know, two people reading the ESV, one could have assumed he was saying just some scribes who do this, look out for those ones. Right. And others could have read it and just thought he was saying all scribes. Right. Which I think at the end of the day, he is saying if they don't do this, they're not bad. They're not going to receive the condemnation. It's because they do this that they receive the condemnation. Yeah. So I think both work. To the point, which is leaders that do this have payment to be paid, mm-hmm. which is not going to be enjoyable for them because they're the tenants of the vineyard that have not been the good tenants. Yep. Yeah. So anyways, it was. it's definitely a pride before the fall kind of thing. Yeah, which is so in the in the part about the greatest commandment. Yeah, Jesus, I think that's where he starts getting to the heart of the matter with yes. this whole section. Yeah, and namely the heart of the matter is the heart. So <laughs> who do you who do you love God and do you love your neighbor? Those are the most important commandments. So all these authorities of in the in the Jewish world are claiming to be the authorities of God and the religion of the Jews and yeah. in, in different realms. And Jesus says the most important part about all of this is that you love God and love your neighbor. And the, the teacher who says, oh, yeah, I, I think that's right as well. He says, you're not far from the kingdom, right. which is coming, has come. Um, and then talks about the teachers of the law who uh, 
Oh, that guy, that guy who's not far from the kingdom of God is a teacher of the law. So that's interesting. Mm-hmm. But then he says, watch out for the teachers of the law who live like this. Yeah. And clearly love themselves first. Yeah. Right? In and some respects, either way, he's making a generalized statement about them. Because yeah, they're for sure. Majority is in, is like that. Sorry, you were in the middle of a point today. Do you really? No, that was it. Because then the next thing that happens, I think, is related to the rest of this through that point, which is, so the next thing that happens is the, they're in the temple and Jesus is watching where they put the offering yeah. uh, into the temple treasur- treasury and a bunch of rich people throw in large amounts because they're rich, but a poor widow comes in and puts in two um, small copper coins and Jesus says, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others because they gave out of wealth, but she gave out of her poverty mm-hmm. and put in everything that she had to live on. Yeah. And again, it's the heart of the matter. Where is, where is her heart um, versus, I, like, I think he's, again, comparing, if you compare what this widow lives like to yeah. what the teachers of the law live like, yeah. you see very clearly where the heart of God is. Yeah, it's really interesting. Uh, I don't know that there's a connection, but I would guess Mark noticed a connection at very least. So we're we're now talking about how someone uses their money. Oh, I see where you're going. We're also talking about the way a widow has responded who has their home devoured by the scribes. Oh, nope, I didn't see where you were going. (laughs) But I do now. I just, uh, you know, I'm sure there's, I could keep going a bit. There's not a lot of other overlap I see, but it's just the, he's, somehow he's pulling pieces from the whole story, like you were just talking about. He's pulling pieces from the whole story together. And the bit about who do we give our, do we pay tax to Caesar? What do we do with our money? Yeah. How do we steward this? Yeah. Because her stewardship is, I'll give you everything I have. Yeah. Right? So she's giving to God what is God's. I got, that's all I got. Yep. I got everything. So it's just an interesting message or an interesting section to kind of bring some, not finality, because the, I mean, we go on into chapter 13, but it really ties some things together here. Both, I actually think, hmm, I actually think, and after, uh, and after that, no one dared ask him any more questions. Then there's three stories in a row. The one about, this is where my authority comes from. This is where their authority lies, how they treat people, how, how they are in their what authority. They do with their authority, yeah. And how we're supposed to respond to all of this as an answer to everything that's happened up until that point. To give everything we have. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. It's a great way to tie it up. Yeah, that's fun. Well, that was a big chunk. And the next one, I think we're doing all of chapter 13 next. Yep, that's it. So tune in next time and uh, we'll read Mark 13 together.